Welcome to another episode of Ghibli Jabber. I'm Nick and I'm here with Trevor. On each episode of Ghibli Jabber, we discuss one of the works of Japanese film studio Studio Ghibli through the eyes of a fan, that's me, and a newbie, that's Trevor. This week we're discussing Isao Takahata's final film, 2013's The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Based on the tale of the bamboo cutter, a 10th century Japanese dory, this film tells a tale of a princess found by a bamboo cutter inside a tree who is raised to become a princess. Similarly to Takahata's My Neighbor the Yamadas, which is a favorite of Trevor's, right? Uh, the, film, <laughs> the film utilizes a unique art style focusing on watercolor backgrounds and an imperfect sketched out quality. The unique style not only made it the most expensive film Ghibli ever produced, but to this day is still the most expensive um, Japanese production of all time. So Trevor, do you think uh, Takahata's painstaking, expensive and unique animation style served and lifted the film? Or do you feel a more traditional animation style would have served the film just as well? Um, I'm going to answer this in a very, very uh, typically Trevor way and say I have two opinions. One opinion is artistically, did it work? Yes. I think that it lifted the film up. Um, the artistic style being very painterly, watercolors, um, very is very fitting of the story that is fleeting. This is a movie about a girl that's growing up so fast and she has a very little life to live. It makes sense to me that there's there's not a lot of finish to a lot of the animation um, and that there's, there's a, this kind of rushed quality to it that is still very, very beautiful. So that makes sense. Now, on the other hand, do, would I have rather seen more full animation? Yes, I would have personally rather have seen more full animation, but I'm okay with, and I fully accept this animation, and I find it beautiful, given that it fits the context of the film. How about you? Oh, yeah, I think it's... So this was, this was basically the only film after Howl's Moving Castle that I like really, really like. Um, I mean, I like The Wind Rises, but I think this is sort of in that top tier of Ghibli films, I mean, the, that was just a, a way of sort of introducing the style of the film. I don't mm-hmm. think it's relying on that kind of animation style to make it interesting, but I do think that also adds sort of a, an extra level of, like, like you said, it kind of, like not even in the way it sort of connects to a sort of fleeting story, but it has that sort of folkloric quality of maybe something that could have been, you know, scroll down you know and like an ancient scroll kind of thing or like sketched on the walls or like you know written in like has been sort of passed down through the you know the ages in sort of a non-perfect incomplete kind of way um and you know and it's a story that's not you know telling a story about real you know real characters and real situations but is more um you know of a fable i suppose so i think it perfectly suited that kind of story that it was telling and I think it looks gorgeous. And I think it's funny. I mean, I didn't realize, um, I think I was listening to another podcast about Miyazaki and then like they made a side comment um, about how expensive this one was. And I'm like, oh, really? Because it, it obviously is very difficult to make a film that doesn't look like it's been as labored over. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was, yeah, the, the most expensive film they ever did. And it wasn't, it didn't, it lost money really. But luckily like Wind Rises did really well. So, but yeah, I think... I think it's gorgeous and it's like, you know, exceptionally unique. It is, it does have similarities to what, to the style that he had, he used sort of in My Neighbor the Yamadas. Um, Correct. But taken to sort of another level, I think. Agreed. But, but you, you, you're on the fence about whether you 
you love that style? It's just me personally. Like I just, I, I would rather see more rich, beautiful animation and that's just me. But like I said, I fully accept this animation and it's not that I don't find it beautiful. I'm just, I am more drawn to art that is uh, a realism art rather than like impressionistic art. And so um, this, this feels like an impressionistic painting to me almost. And so yeah. not even almost like it is. And mm. I think it's interesting too, that you, 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 you touched on the, the budget too. Cause yes, it did. It like lost a lot of money. And then in kind of a little bit of my research afterwards too, I real, I found out that the, he had the, the voice cast, do their entire voice record all their lines and act for this entire film before they did one storyboard and one animated shot for the film, mm-hmm. which is unlike any animated film pretty much ever. It's always the opposite. We animate the film and then the voice actors act around it. But he wanted this very, like he wanted the animators rather than the voice actors to capture the animator style. He wanted the animators to catch the voice actors their performances rather. So yeah. I found that was interesting. And I imagine that was very expensive to go about it that way. Hmm. Well, I mean, just hitting on that point, I think the performances, um, did you watch it in English or Japanese? I watched this one in English, so I could uh, have captured that. I know it was so no, easily I, readily available. I think um, the voice acting is, in in Japanese, I could actually feel it was like I would say the best of of any of them. The father, especially, um, was just heartbreaking. He was like, "There's a real sort of pained quality in his voice through a lot of it." Like the you could feel sort of the the love he has for the princess. Yeah, it's my favorite. The father is my favorite vocal performance. Yeah, no, it's yeah, amazing. <clears throat> I've never seen. I've never. I mean, it's just it's such a Japanese story that I've it never is. really wanted to watch it in English. I feel like it would even more like, you know, Kiki's delivery service, like whatever it's set in Europe pretty much. I mean, it so and you know, it, it follows a pretty traditional, if it feels like it could be a Western story, but this one I've never, you know, I've seen basically every other one probably in both languages, but I've never really, I, I would feel strange watching sort of, and probably American cast sort of, do a sort of Japanese sort of folklore story. Not that you shouldn't have watched it like that, but um, I think there's probably even like, you'd probably get more, more out of it. Maybe. experience probably. Yeah. Um, in the Japanese. Uh, well, I mean, this, this is a question everyone wants answered. Did you prefer it to my neighbor, the Yamadas? Oh my God. Yes. That's not, that's a love artist. Set, honey. <laughs> I think the greater question. It shouldn't have been a film. It should have been a film. Fuck that movie. I hate it so much. <laughs> Um, I, you know what, it's going to, I'm probably going to knock it down to my least favorite. I probably would rather watch the ocean waves than that. (laughs) Um, wow. No, I think, I I think a more important question or a more interesting one would be like, how do I see it fit? Cause let's be honest. I've enjoyed Takahata's films way more than I've enjoyed Miyazaki's films. Okay. That was intense to say. I have typically enjoyed them more than I've enjoyed, uh, the average Miyazaki film. So how it stacks up against those. I think that I, why, I mean, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is not the retrospective, but I think no. that it fits within his body of work. Um, but it probably falls somewhere in the middle for me. Okay. Cause yeah, essentially 
your um, ratings for those films went down with each one. Obviously, this pushes Correct. it back up. <laughs> Correct. Back up um, maybe probably around the Pompoco mark, is it? Or um, Again, I'd have to look at my ratings. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean obviously the ratings right. don't really matter. But, yeah, yeah, they don't really matter. Probably, it probably put me back up closer, probably below only yesterday. Okay, between only yesterday and Pompoco maybe. Yeah, yeah, and I guess, I mean, rather than just sitting and talking about it, I guess I could explain it. And for me, it's, um, I kind of hit on, I hit on the animation. That was one of my favorite aspects of this film was how I just loved how the style really worked for the story. And that's yeah. what was exciting for me. Um, and there was just some very, very beautiful moments and like some moments where the style just aids in like some of the pain this character has or like the confusion of the anxiety um, that she has about moments going on, uh, pivotal moments. And so I thought I, 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 that was exciting for me to watch. Like to me, that was like, that's what's so exciting about film. And that's what shows me is somebody who's a master of their craft. Somebody who's not just filming a shot and then, okay, move on. Let's go get the other piece of dialogue. But somebody who's like, what is, what emotion am I trying to convey through this moment? And how am I going to move this character along or, and move this story along um, through the mise-en-scene. Anywho, so uh, I enjoyed that. Overall, I know this is a folklore. It's probably like one of the oldest folklores ever. And But there's just an aspect of repetitiveness to it that just gets a little bit boring to me. Like, especially when you get to the part with the, with the five guys, I'm like, okay, great. Like five of these stories, let's just get through them. And I, again, I understand the source material and I get that. Yeah, I guess that there are just there are moments of a little bit of pacing issues to me. This movie is over two hours long, and it's like I think that you know as a, as it being a folklore, it could have been shorter, and it didn't need to be that long because there were moments where I was like, okay, how much longer does this movie have? And so, a little bit of issues with pacing. I have a little bit of issues with not really connecting with the character itself. But I think that that has to do with the source material and the fact that the whole movie is just her figuring out who she is. I don't know. And you, you know me, I don't like narration and a lot of narration in this, in this movie to like push the movie along. And there is, there definitely is. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> no, I'm, trying to rem- I'm trying to remember. Um... It's like once upon, we open up with once upon a time, which tells me it's a fantasy and I'm okay with that. There's constantly with like, the princess felt like this and the dad did, is doing this and they moved here. And I just to don't be honest. I don't like know if that's that. something that's exclusive to the English dub. Or not. Oh, interesting. Maybe I'm that not like sure, completely I, I don't remember that. any, I don't remember any narration, which doesn't mean it wasn't there, but it wasn't, um, it didn't, it wasn't distracting for me if it was. It's well then yeah. F the English version even more so. Cause there, there's a lot of it in the English version, which I'm just like, oh, I'm bored. Um, yeah, that, that may have been like connective tissue for they, for them thinking that, you know, stupid we wouldn't Americans understand wouldn't it. understand this story. <laughs> I remember reading this tale as I grew up, probably in elementary school, so. I mean, it's it a fairly simple story as well. We don't need yeah. someone to tell us how she's feeling. Thank you. Right. Anywho, anywho, I'll stop there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I again, like I said, this is one of my favorites. The, the element that I, it kind of, the ending I didn't love, it, even though, yeah, it's, it's obviously... A magical tale and you know it's not you know it's a fable and you know, it's it's about lots of things but just when it kind of at the end it started taking 
that fableness seriously. It's like, oh, now I need to go. My planet needs me. I'm going back to my moon. I'm like, where did where did this come from? I thought it kind of because you know for for most of it, you know, even though she starts like growing very quickly, but like the you know the main sort of middle three quarters of the film is really just about a girl becoming a princess. And like, we don't even sort of think about, you know, her origins or that she might not be from this world and then has to go back home or that her mom is not her real mom. She doesn't like look at the moon and be like, I wish I was home at the, like the last sort of 10 minutes. I'm like, this sort of came out of nowhere, (laughs) even though, you know, even though we know that she didn't, she wasn't birthed from those people. You know, she came, she was found in a tree. But, like, you kind of, like, oh, that's just a way to get the story started and, you know, tell this fable in sort of like a, you know, in a more interesting way. And I'm like, oh, no, now she's going back to her moon or something. I'm like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> that's a bit, it's a bit disappointing almost that that's how the story had to end. I mean, obviously that allows us to, um, you know, for her to show that she actually does, love the planet and she's going to miss it and it's going to make her appreciate those things more. Um, you know, and she sort of re- rediscovers her love of the the world just as she has to leave her. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Like, okay. I mean, it's, it, it do- again, it doesn't kill the movie for me, but I was, that's one thing every time I'm like, oh, it kind of ends on a bit of a bum note for me in that sense. I, under- I, I know what you mean about the sort of, it is a bit of a slower movie that kind of, when you have, yeah, we have to see each of the five different suitors first make their case and then for her to call each and each of them on it and then for each of them to come one by one. Or one of them dies while trying to, like, get an egg for her. But whatever, he's dead. Um, and for each of them to come and, like, make their case and we have to see the story. We have to see them doing, going on their adventure to fight this evil, whatever. You know, I mean, it's all made up kind of. Um, you know, it could have... They could have, it could have been three suitors, you know? Right. Um, but I feel like the movie slows down a little bit once she gets to the city intentionally, I think, in, in a way to to sort of contrast the sort of the love and the freedom and the beauty of nature and, like, the yeah. enjoyment she had growing up with sort of the structures of the urban world which she sort of ends up rebelling against and she sort of um, resents for sort of putting her in this box and making her act a certain way um, in a way that she doesn't sort of vibe with. So I can kind of, even if I'm getting a little bit bored, I'm like, like the, the kind of dream sequence where she kind of escapes and, you know, the animation becomes very, very impressionistic. And then the sequence at the end where she like, she leaves and she's like, you know, flying around with that guy at the end, like that kind of, bookends with the you know the beginning of the movie it kind of the contrast of those moments to the sort of slower moments sort of really highlight you know who that character is and why she's sort of slowly you know resenting her life in the city and what she actually stands for which is sort of to be you know at one with nature and you know in the beauty of nature and living with people and having fun and not being sort of held to sort of tradition or belongings and things like that so i i mean in that way i can kind of like forgive a little bit of slowness and like uh, this is getting boring because it's getting boring to her as well yeah this isn't a film that i would just like watch it you know for a bit of fun you know this, you know it, it doesn't it feels quite heavy despite being you know like you like you say sort of like an unfinished a small scale fable in some ways 
it's also quite like a dense, well, not dense, but you know, there's, you know, it's a long movie. It's a slow mm-hmm. movie. There's a lot of serious emotions and there's a, there is quite a bit of plot in terms of, yeah, all those going through the motions of all those characters. And then the emperor comes in and like tries to assault her basically. <laughs> and like a lot of all that kind of weird stuff. So yeah, no, I still, you know, those, those boring scenes I can kind of appreciate for what they say about the character. What, what so you said you, you also said you didn't really connect to her what why do you think that is how does she how does she really grow like i don't there's not a lot of like she just grows up fast and yes you go from this girl who felt very connected to the countryside which is super apparent i mean she came from a piece of bamboo that's like that makes sense to me they called her little bamboo like she's and she was so happy there and she gets whisked away because her father wants to make her a princess and she's sad and then she doesn't want to be placed with these suitors and then she goes to the moon like what what really happens there like there's not I mean, like there's like anxiety sitting around her being forced to become somebody she doesn't want to become but i don't and then there's like this weird like again at the end this kind of like random love story thing with her and the boy that she grew up with yeah. And I'm just like, okay, let's, let's throw that love story in here again. Why do you connect to her? Well, I mean, I, I guess mostly for those things that I was, I was talking about. Um, I think she sort of, she kind of represents a lot of what um, re- that kind of Ghibli ethos of, you know, a love of the sort of simple things in life, you know, respect for nature, a love of sort of familial connection and, you know, beauty and nature and freedom and all of those things. And then this movie is sort of, you know, it's testing those things is, you know, what happens when you take someone who sort of embodies that kind of ethos and throws them into, you know, the modern, so to speak, world mm-hmm. where, you know, value is prescribed to, you know, old senses of, you know, old traditions and, you know, belongings and stature and money and who you're married to and, you know, whether you have black crap on your teeth and you know how many servants you have and your acreage and like it's sort of you know it's it's testing you know how you know a person of good values so to speak um exists in that world and you know and how she kind of rebels against that and eventually is kind of mm, sort of broken down by it um but is finally able to sort of discover rediscover those things that she loves Agreed. And I, want, I don't want to say that, like she, there is no characterization behind the princess. Like there definitely is. I guess for me though, and it, and it makes sense to me from it coming from like a literary tale, that this is more like that plot is, is placed at a higher stance in the hierarchy of this tragedy than character was for me. Like you could go plot character to me um, because I felt like it was more interested in the beat points of the plot or at least that that's what I took away with it. Maybe that was my like the slowness factor of it. And like the, mm-hmm. like some of the, some of the monotony of like, okay, I know now that I'm going to see five similar scenes with these suitors. Um, it felt like it was more interested, not in more interested. It just felt like it favored plotting more than it favored the characterization of the princess for me. And sort of going through sort of episodically yes. these various challenges she had to go through yeah i mean i I know what you mean um but i felt like her and her parents are fairly well drawn and i could connect to all of them but yeah you know ultimately there is an underlying story that is 
being told and has to sort of mm-hmm. go through the paces of it. But no, I, I found, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel this like a particularly like super plot heavy film. It still feels like, you know, when you step away and you sort of think like what actually happened, it doesn't oh. feel like a lot happened. She goes through these sort of, you know, the, these various things sort of pop up one by one, you know, and it's how she reacts to them and like what, you know, she sort of ends up tending to her garden more and like sort of withdrawing from people and, we can see like her lack of interest in becoming a real lady. So I think it's like, you know, these various things pop up and then we, her reaction to them is what is sort of informing what happens next. And I think in that sense, the character does drive the plot as much as she can, but also her lack of agency in this sort of setting is also, you know, demonstrated by the fact that she's clearly miserable from the beginning, but these things sort of keep coming and coming and coming because of her, her dad thinks this is how she should be living that's and what true. someone should want in this time and place. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I found it interesting. Um, but again, it's not the most exhilarating film um, outside of those, maybe those few moments where she kind of like really sort of feels passionately, both in when she's angry and when she's happy at the end. But no, I no, I really like it. I think it's gorgeously animated. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the film visually? Well, I will say like, one of the things that stood out to me too, and you kind of touched upon this with like the characterization, but even just visually, and this is what I love, that these things go hand in hand. Things were a lot more fleshed out, like in the beginning with her in the countryside. It's still very impressionistic. You know, it's still very painterly, um, but uh, some of the edges are filled in more. And as, and as her anxiety grows and she gets moved to the city, um, or yeah, into the city and put into this, you know, princess mode with her father and, becoming rich we get way less like the edges stop being filled out as much and there's like um it just feels like they've heightened up that that uncertainty that she's feeling through the animation and i just loved watching that evolution of the animation throughout the film and then that goes into my favorite sequence not to touch that on, on that too soon but why not um when she, when she's, you know, I think, I think it's most people's favorite sequences of this film. It's a sequence that I remember watching on the Academy Award night when it was nominated for best animated feature that they showed for the clip for the film. The sequence when she's running away and she's ripping off all the clothes and it becomes like charcoal smears and like, it's just such, that's a masterclass in animation to back up feeling and emotion. It's so emotive um that's where i found strength in this film really like i didn't really care for the plot that much didn't really care for the characterizations but i cared for the way in which they told a story and really used the animation as a mode to tell that story that's what was super exciting about this film to me and so that sequence of her like that the just in her running back to the countryside and it's just like darks and grays and like very thick charcoal lines like the little bit of the red like incredible incredible like who who wouldn't watch that and remember that yeah and i mean it's something that you would never see in any other movie you know pixar's not ever gonna do something as crazy as that i mean they can't in terms of in the forms that they use to make movies like it's this is one of the things you get from 2d animation that you know you won't be able to find um you know by you know basically any other film studio at the moment which is what i love about these i mean yeah, if we want to get into those scenes, that is, you know, that's definitely my favorite sequence. I mean, it's it's hard, it's inescapable. It's, you know, it's the most different, but it doesn't feel like it feels like you know you you take notice, but it doesn't feel out of place or anything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it it's like yeah, a perfect um, visual representation of how she's feeling at that moment. Um, you know, and ultimately it, it ends up being a dream, but it's still like that's you know your greatest sense of what of of, of how she's feeling. You know, because a lot of the movie is quite repressed, really. You know, as society is at that time, and as she's expected to be. Oh, it's so beautiful. My other favorite sequence is probably just at the end where she's like, you know, flying with the boy. Again, I don't even remember his name. Who is like married and has a child that was like, I'll go away with you. Yeah, like immediately he's like, oh yeah, let's get the hell out of here. Um, the princess wants I, me? Let's do this. Exactly. But I think that's a gorgeous scene as well. Um, for favorite shot, I just put, I mean, I watched this a while ago, so I was trying to remember my favorite shot. But I, I think the, okay. And it's not something that's really replicated very much later as well. The scene where they sort of find Kaguya at the beginning and like the sort of light sort of starts emanating out um, oh, yeah. bamboo in like a very sort of, that itself is like a different style to um, the rest of um, the rest of the aesthetics of the film. And I think it sort of showcases the, the, you know, the magical element, the otherworldliness of what she's sort of bringing to it. And there are quite a few scenes um, toward the beginning, I think when the the father's kind of looking for her, um, I think she's sort of run away with like the other kids and it's just like sort of, there's like a sunset and he's walking through the bamboo groves and it's all sort of, it's it's done sort of very beautifully. There are a bunch of scenes like that um, that I really liked. I think, yeah, most of the interesting visual elements are in those sequences um, in at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, before rating, was there any, I think, I think we have to mention the, um, her servant with the weird looking face. I think she's, she's a <laughs> oh, Yeah. How can we forget to about her? Yeah, definitely. 100%. She's like the most dry character I've ever seen, like in one of these movies. She's like hilarious. she's just like, so matter of fact. She is. <laughs> oh, I just, I love her. She's just like, like, I don't know. She's intentionally drawn weirdly. I don't know if she, there's something. <laughs> her, her face is just like very round and like her mouth is like very large. I don't know. I just find she's everything cranky. she pops up. Every time she pops up, she's like hilarious. <laughs> and I thought, I thought um, the the lady who was brought in to sort of teach her how to be a lady, mm-hmm. I thought she was a fit, fitfully sort of scary, but also, you know, she's just trying to do her job and <laughs> not taking it seriously at all. So serious, but you know, she's she's a good representation of because you know the the mother and father don't really know how to live in this world either, so they're reliant on this woman to be sort of the face of that and, you know, show how sort of horrible that life would be to be a princess, really. No, thank you. They the can't do it. They can't, arms. Yeah, they couldn't walk. Like, they had to, like, shuffle over on their knees to get things and, like, no, no, thank you. Absolutely not. <laughs> Don't make me do it. Don't make me be a princess in old Jap- Japanese times. I'm taking please. you. Well, let's get to our um, Takahata criteria ratings so five, um, five criteria that we're rating out of two to get a rating out of 10 that would sort of um, rep- uh, that would represent how much of a Takahata film this is. So the first one, uh, the first criteria is environmental concerns. What, what did you put for that? Um, I put a one. And I think that, like, I think that the, the concern is like a personal concern like a desire to be in the countryside. There wasn't like a lot of like in some of his other films, like way more of a fascination with like conserving that or preserving it and whatnot. So give it a one. Yeah. 
See, I gave it a two in the same way that I, it's, I mean, and we haven't really discussed this yet, but maybe we can discuss it now. Um, In the same way that films like Only Yesterday and Pompoko and like, yeah, a lot of his films are sort of directly about the, the juxtaposition between sort of a rural life and an urban life and, and what that means. And just because this movie comes down so much on the, the rural side of things, I feel like the love of that kind of lifestyle and appreciating the natural world and of her sort of maybe being part of that natural world, I think that came through so strongly that I had to give it a two, even though it's not about like stop over cutting down bamboos or something. Like there's no <laughs> subplot like that. But like this film is very, it's a very Takahata film in that it tackles it's, yeah, it's placed that divide there. very, um, very strictly in the way that basically all of his films, um, apart from My Neighbor, The Murders, do. Um, unique animation style. What did you give that? Oh, I gave that a two. Mm-hmm. I don't think this, I need to say more on that. No. this I'd say this is the uniquest, but I mean, maybe it's similar to Tom, yeah, um, My Neighbor, The Murders, I think, in terms of... But it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's a comic strip. That makes Oof. perfect sense Oof. that it has that start. Okay. Um, distinctly Japanese narrative. I gave two. About I gave that a two, definitely. It's like that 10th century story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interest in the passing of time. I, I gave that two in the sense that, I mean, this is really the story of her life from birth to Cradle, cradle to grave, essentially. Yeah. I mean, she's not dead, but you know, she's, she's, dead. she's dead to dead to Her us. Earth life is dead. Um, did you give it two? Yeah, definitely. And then the final one is a focus on food. I gave it a one because there are certain elements, you know, food, food. The idea of, I guess, food for survival at the beginning, where they're sort of chasing down the pheasants and they're eating, they're stealing the melons and that kind of stuff. I don't remember if once they get to the city that there's a lot of mentions of food or, you know, there's constant, um, you know, that she's over, there's an overabundance mm-hmm. of food that she does, she's not eating it or something. I don't remember if there are many scenes like that. Um, but obviously there is the scene once they're in the city of seeing the boy stealing that chicken and stuff. So, I mean, the idea of, you know, how important having, you know, a good amount of food is for, you know, people who live in a rural existence, I think, um, is enough for me to give it a one, even though there's not like lots of scenes of them gorging themselves on food or anything. Mm-hmm. I gave it a zero, but only because to be honest, I just didn't remember those moments. So I, and I think that says something because it just didn't stick out to me. So I'd still give it a zero. Yep. That's fair. Um, so mine was a nine out of 10. And I think maybe yours is a seven. seven. Correct. Yeah. But I do feel like, in the ways that it is similar, this you know, it, it definitely feels like you know, if you saw this movie, you would know if you if someone said, "Is this a Takahata film or a Miyazaki film?" You would know that it's a Takahata film. I think just because so much. I mean, predominantly that very Japanese sort of folklore kind of focus, which he sort of also had with Pompoko, um, as well as that um, that kind of urban rural divide that sort of came came up in Pompoko and in yesterday as well. So, yeah, now I need to guess what you gave this. I mean, I have a bit of a sense. Seeing as we, we've basically ranked it for you in amongst the hardest <laughs> films. So it, it's probably 
maybe a 7.5. I give it a 7. So you're very close. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I but this is definitely one of the ones oh. that, like, sorry, I there give it a 7, but it's definitely one of the ones that, especially after, like, talking about it with you and stuff like that, especially after talking about the fact that I didn't listen to the, the Japanese version, um, it's definitely one that I want to watch again. I mean, I'd have yeah. to have some, like, passing of time, but there's, it, it is definitely one that I would rewatch, and I would actually show it to, like, a, like a, a friend who loves film, because I think it's yeah. just so visually amazing that, I'd be like, everyone needs to see this. And so, you know, unlike Wind Rises, I don't think I'll ever see that movie again, but <laughs> <laughs> the last episodes. Yeah, this is a unique um, piece of media, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think I gave it? I think you gave it an 8.5. Yeah, I did. Woo-woo! So that's so a seventeen point five out of twenty for me, and a fourteen for you. Uh huh. Yeah. Correct. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think we've already kind of discussed the connections to other Takahata films in that uh, as we're going through the criteria. Do you have any more points to raise? Nope. I think that it was a. Uh, I mean, I'm just sad that this was his last film because I think. I mean, I already said it. I liked typically liked his films the most out of all the Studio Ghibli films. And I think that his films were the ones that kind of um, challenged me the most. And yeah, I'm just kind of sad. I'm sad it was his last film. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, he could have done some great things. But, you know, we've got five very unique, five films that couldn't have been made by anyone else, essentially. Um, Yeah. And we can discuss that a little bit more when we do our sort of whole of Ghibli retrospective and how they all fit together and everything. Uh, Otherwise, I will talk to you next time when we discuss when Marnie was there. See you then.